Hello and welcome to the Majlis podcast, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's media manager here in Washington, D.C. Next week, uh, to be more specific, on May 3rd, the world is going to celebrate the International Press Freedom Day, a good opportunity to circle back and look at how our region is figuring out on this uh, parameter. If the recent reports are any indication, it seems uh, not very well. I was just reading a collective statement by a number of media advocacy organizations uh, raising alarm about the deteriorating space for free press in Kyrgyzstan. There is a laundry list of recent events including new charges against investigative journalist Bolot Tamirov, legal procedure directed at changing the status of the country's most popular TV network, etc. They are obviously concerning events, but there are signs throughout the region about sharp assault on media. Uzbekistan has been chasing bloggers who dares to disagree with the government version of things. Uh, not long ago, after the mass protests of January in Kazakhstan, President Tokayev has, has appeared to have blamed free media and bloggers as foreign agents, a term Russian leadership has been using to crush the free press. Not much left in the name of uh, free press in Tajikistan, and Turkmenistan has been a black hole for so long. Uh, on top of all that, Central Asian authorities' vague position about Russia's war in Ukraine has further complicated the state of free press in the region. On today's Majlis podcast, we have decided to revisit the region in the light of growing pressure on independent media as the world prepares to celebrate the International Press Freedom Day. To do so, I'm joined by Gulnoza Said, Europe and Central Asia Program Coordinator at CPJ, Committee to Protect Journalists. Darhan Omerbekov, Senior Journalist of Radio Free Europe Radio Liberties Kazakh Service in Nur Sultan. Blue Spanier, the author of Radio Free Europe Radio Liberties, about to be launched Central Asia in Focus newsletter, which is hitting the internet on May 3rd next week. Also, on the same note, if you like Majlis podcast, I'm sure you will certainly like Bruce's weekly letter. I highly encourage you to subscribe. Please reach out to Bruce or me for further details on how to subscribe. We are available on Twitter. So thank you, colleagues, for making the time uh, to join us today on this important conversation. So let's start with the describing the lay of the land uh, on the media freedom in Central Asia. In recent days, uh, we have seen further evidence of concern, uh, Gulnoza, about the drastic deterioration of this in so many countries in the region. So why not we start with you, Gulnoza, and then Bruce and Darhan will add further details and, and we go from there. Thank you. Uh, and you gave a very good summary of the situation in Central Asia in terms of press freedom. I just wanted to reiterate some of the points you made. We at the Committee to Protect Journalists have different criteria, several criteria, to evaluate the press freedom environment in a given country. And uh, two of those criteria are a number of journalists in jail and the number of journalists killed in a country in retaliation for the work. So if we look at Central Asia in the past, say, 12 months since the previous World Press Freedom Day, we can see that when CPJ published its uh, annual report on journalists in jail in December 2021, Uzbekistan had at least two journalists in jail in retaliation for their reporting. It is Elyor Tajiboyev, who is now serving a three-year sentence, and Otabek Satori, a blogger who is serving six and a half years uh, of uh, prison term. 
And if we look at killed journalists, we have a media worker, Murat Khan Bazarbayev, a driver for Almaty TV, mm-hmm. who was shot and killed in an attack on a convoy of city officials during the January unrest in Kazakhstan. So even if we look at these two criteria, the trend is negative. But just as you said, there have been more cases of persecution of journalists, harassment of bloggers, especially in Uzbekistan. I myself receive phone calls from bloggers from Uzbekistan so often, and not every phone call or not every case of prosecution gets to be reflected in a a statement that we publish, because very often bloggers say, hey, I just want you to be aware that I've been under pressure, that I've been receiving phone calls, or I think I've been under surveillance, but I don't want you to go public for the time being. Mm -hmm. And also there have been bloggers who fled Uzbekistan and are now asking for political asylum in uh, other countries, and they also ask for our assistance to get uh, residency in those countries or asylum in those countries. And also what we've seen another trend is the restrictions on the internet access. In Turkmenistan, as you said, a black hole, since the new president was elected, we see that it's become very difficult, if not impossible, to use the internet, let alone to send some reports to foreign-based media outlets that some journalists in Turkmenistan have been doing uh, on an anonymous basis. And in Tajikistan, for, what, four months at mm. least, in the Gornabadakhshan yeah, region, yeah. the internet was restricted until March. Let me stop here and then we can continue. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I just wanted to follow up on some of the things that you said, Gulnoza. You were talking about the journalists being detained, harassed. We kind of got used to it, but you were also talking about the journalists shot and killed in Kazakhstan. I mean, getting killed is something, I guess, something new, isn't it? It is relatively new, yes. And Murat Khan Bazarbayev, a driver for Almaty TV who was shot and killed, he was killed in an attack on a convoy of city officials, so we cannot say that he Mm. specifically was targeted, Mm. but in the incident that he was killed in, uh, also his colleagues were wounded, some severely, and we look into incidents like these and try to determine whether a journalist was in assignment uh, or not, Mm. and the TV crew, Almaty TV crew, was definitely on an assignment trying to interview the city officials Mm. at the time, Mm. so uh, these uh, deaths was definitely work-related, although I cannot say that protesters or the shooters, you know, the perpetrators targeted Bazarbayev specifically, but I think it's important to look in a general uh, press freedom environment, because also during the January protests, we have seen detentions of multiple journalists across Kazakhstan, some of them prominent ones like Lukpan Ahmedyarev, and some of them spent several days sentences of arrest. But in a way, a positive news was that there were no follow-up arrests, Mm. meaning not lengthy arrests Mm. in Kazakhstan for the time being. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's continue with Kazakhstan then. Darhan, uh, please feel free to add any other incident events that you would like to bring up. And also, you know, since you are coming from the, you know, field journalism, I wanted to invite you to reflect on the treatment of journalists while they are on assignment in the streets, while, while they are covering those events unfold. How is this compared with years before? Has there been any changes in, on that aspect? 
Yeah, since January events, the government tried to be quite mild with journalists. Like we've covered from so many public rallies, hmm. some of them were also rights, which were very rare case in terms of like allowing the demonstrations. Hmm. Because like it seems that the government now uh, understood that in long term the demonstrations and protests are good for them as well because. Like they can hear the demands of the population, and it also can like release of anger and energy. I don't know what is the rationale behind, but like for the last couple of months, I can say that we have uh, challenges in covering the protest. But still, depends on your agenda, and it depends on the organization you are associated with. Like if you're associated with Mukhtar Ablayev's Democratic Choice of Kazakhstan, you won't get your rally uh, also rise and whenever we went uh, to the rallies organized by Mukhtar Ablazov, the police wouldn't hesitate to detain them all and it was quite detain uh, them, challenging. De- detain to, them yeah. all means detain journalists? The particip- no, 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 no. Uh, like most of the time we have no chance to to get to that place because like they detain right away. So they detain uh, journalists right away before they reach to any protest rally that might have been organized by Mukhtar? No, no, not, not journalists, participants. Like mm. we always, uh, you know, mm. have to fail to cover the protest because like they are very quick and they just block the area of uh, uh, protests. But for others, like uh, the other activists uh, who raise ecology questions or other stuff, it seems that they try to be quite mild since January events. But there are things that causes frenzy among uh, free journalists. Mm. It's uh, Tokayev's uh, systematic verbal attack against free journalists. Starting from January events, when he referred to independent news authors as so-called independent newspapers, because no no one uh, had a doubt that the speech was against uh, our terrorist Kazakh service, because like the word so-called like clarifies any doubt. Like it might, he might have mentioned implied Russian outlets that are doing propaganda or other stuff. Mm-hmm. And on March 16th, he also implied something uh, like vague uh, meaning, like saying journalists should be patriotic, think about interests of uh, the government. These are the accusations usually used against our terrorist Kazakh service, mm-hmm. uh, saying that we are sponsored from abroad, from the United States. Mm-hmm. For them, like it's just a solid proof that you are a potential traitor. That's how they tried to portray Arteros Kazakh service. And he proposed to amend or to change a law uh, on mass media. And mm. like we haven't seen the draft mm. of a new law, but his statements makes us worry. And today, President Tokhaev attended Assembly of People of Kazakhstan, where he again reiterated that journalists should be patriots, uh, should worry about their country's mm-hmm. interests and uh, other stuff. These are the words that makes us worry because, like uh, I mentioned in my Facebook post, that like uh, how a person can uh, identify the country's interests. We journalists see the interest in telling the truth, in yeah. holding their 
the officials accountable for right. their promises and for right. their actions. Right, right. No, well, I, I, like, I, was yeah. also, I was also thinking about earlier, we have been getting reports from Kazakhstan, some particular groups kind of whenever they see a journalist that they don't like to, to see in, in particular gathering, they would come, especially women with umbrellas, they will come together and try to harass journalists or in some cases beat up journalists. So I was just wondering from that perspective, how your current year is compared to the years before in terms of being able to do your job as a journalist. We've seen that during the January events mm. when our journalists were mm. harassed by the angry mobs. We don't know who were they yeah. or were they like honest protesters or were they like people who are organized by the Kazakh KGB. So these kind of cases, have you seen declining or rising them this year compared to the previous years? It's hard to say now. I can't say that it's increased or decreased, Mm. but like uh, things have changed uh, after January events, but we don't know how long it will last because the government tried to now, uh, you know, soften the uh, consequences of the uh, protest, but Mm. like after a while, they might again starting uh, Mm. doing those things with against uh, independent newspapers mm-hmm. now they're not, not in a position to fight against independent journalists they have like more troubles to think yeah, about yeah I, think. I, I understand yeah okay so what you are saying is like you know there is a particular visible and notable uh, kind of softening on on the grip of authorities towards you know pressuring media after january events let's see where we go with this so uh, bruce in in case of kyrgyzstan i think that's a very interesting country we have uh bolotemirov's case in in a new turn of events now along with the other ridiculous charges of uh, what's that uh, drug position now he is also accused of document falsification in his kyrgyz residency what else we've been hearing from kyrgyzstan recently in terms of the media freedom there well i mean he's he's certainly one of the more prominent cases mm. um i know golaz has been following this too you know but, but he, you're right i mean he, he was <laughs> earlier in the year he was detained on suspicion of narcotics possession and it I mean, people even were taking pictures and videos and stuff of the raid on the place, and it sure looked like the policeman actually planted narcotics on him. So that was already bad enough, you know, mm-hmm. that they had, this was their case. To, mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, we should make clear that, that Bulat Tamirov's program, Tamirov Live, is on YouTube, and it, it's investigative reporting. Right. It's uncovered a lot of corruption in the mm-hmm. country. Yeah. And uh, these raids started after he was doing um, video reporting about relatives of the current head of the security organization, mm-hmm. and, and these relatives are... Uh, involved in business and seem to be benefiting a lot from their connections to their relative Kamchibek Tashia, who's the head of the state security committee out there. Um, you know, so he's in trouble. And, now, and you're right. I mean, the, the first charges were so ludicrous that, that I don't think anyone really, anyone believed him. It was bad for Kyrgyzstan's image. So instead, they came up with these new charges that he had falsified documents in order to get Kyrgyz citizenship. And he did live for a very short time out, outside the country in Russia. But but the thing about their, their new charges is that not, not only are they saying that he had false documents, that he purchased someone else's military registra- registration mm-hmm. card and documents and then put his own name over it, you know, and that's how he, that was the basis mm-hmm. for him getting resident, you know, citizenship mm-hmm. in Kyrgyzstan again, although I don't think he ever lost it. But but on top of that, they say that he, he violated state borders 50 times, right? Wow. Um, going back and forth in and out of Kyrgyzstan. So what they're basically saying is they had false documents that he was able to use 50 times to cross the border before someone finally noticed <laughs> <laughs> last, that, that these weren't legitimate right you know so so that's horrible but there's the there's the saga of next tv right that they uh, you know they mm-hmm. had broadcast yeah. information that the kyrgyz government didn't they uh, actually 
was it was they were broadcasting what the former Kazakh security minister had said about Kyrgyzstan allegedly cooperating with Russia in the campaign in Ukraine somehow or another. And that was the report that the Kazakh guy had said that. But for that, and I know we're going to get into Ukraine later. Anyway, they, they're giving him a hard time. Now, that news, that TV station belongs to an opposition policy, politician who's actually been detained for like two years. And so, uh, you know, that's a problem. Cactus Media yeah. uh, republished something from Asia Plus, yeah. which is... Uh, Tajik media, right? Mm -hmm. And and just reposting it, you know, they got in a lot of trouble. So, I mean, these are all bad signs, especially in Kyrgyzstan's case where crackdowns on the media tend to be Mm. one of the elements that that lead up to Mm. revolutions, actually, which is not to say that it's because of the media, but it's one of the things that happens ahead of these revolutions that Mm -hmm. they decide they're going to crack down on media. Uh, Very briefly, Gulnoza, about uh, the other two countries in Central Asia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, I don't know what to say about those countries. You know, Turkmenistan's case, it continues to occupy the top spot on the list of unfree countries. So is is there anything to, to point out in terms of the new developments, new events compared to the years that we have seen um, before? Uh, you, you know, Bruce already said that probably the, the worst trend in terms of press freedom we've seen in Kyrgyzstan and uh, Tajikistan and Turkmenistan are as bad as they used to be. Yeah. You know, the two countries with the most restrictive freedom environment. But just as I said, uh, in recent months, we've seen authorities in both countries trying to restrict the internet, which affects press freedom and freedom of expression very seriously, because the world cannot or has difficulties getting any information, any unbiased independent information from those countries, Mm. especially from Turkmenistan, where there are no independent media outlets and uh, all those uh, very few journalists who contribute to independent media outlets usually based abroad, like uh, RFRL and its Turkmen service, are uh, and have been in a very precarious situation already. Yeah, yeah. You know, these two countries, you know, skip our radar in conversations like this because nothing really comes out of those countries, which itself is really, really should be alarming. Um, I agree. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was... uh, that was like kind of intimidation of journalists that we spoke about so far, like, you know, court cases, nationalization of press, etc. The other uh, thing is actually the quality of reporting. How is this compared to the last year and how countries compare in terms of their coverage of Russia's war in Ukraine? I think that's a, one of the major cause behind uh, many of those harassment and intim- intimidation of journalists, I guess. So from that perspective, like quality of reporting, how is this year compared with the previous years and in, in especially in, in terms of the courage of Russia's war in Ukraine. I think you're very right to connect the two, the quality of journalism in Central Asia and the war of Russia against Ukraine, because the war has become a litmus test for many media outlets based in Central Asia. Because until the war, what many media outlets used to do is to simply get reports on regional or especially international news from Russian language media outlets and copy paste them. Sometimes they would uh, simply copy paste them on their website. Sometimes they would translate them to their local languages. And I, I don't blame those media outlets because reporting on international affairs requires additional sources, human uh, resources, and also financial resources. Because if you want to partner with Reuters or AP and use their information as well as photos, you have to, of course, uh, you know, it requires 
require certain resources and they may not necessarily have them. But in terms of the war coverage, many media outlets, especially in some countries where the authorities did not come up with strong statements and their reaction towards the war, like Uzbekistan, the journalists were at a loss about how to report, what exactly to report, whom to trust, and because the quality of journalism has been so low and there is no practice or very little practice of fact-checking and fighting uh, or debunking fake news and disinformation, misinformation and propaganda, many uh, local media outlets fell victims of Russian propaganda. So they started siding with the Russian or the Kremlin narrative of the war. And that brought a new division, not just among journalists, but also in societies and even among families. I've been observing different chat groups on different platforms, social media and Telegram. And I can say that sometimes people did not know what to think about the war. Mm -hmm. And in Uzbekistan, which I already mentioned, it took days, if not weeks, for the authorities to come up with an official statement mm -hmm. on the war. And the position was that they respect the territorial integrity of Ukraine, yada, yada. So that served as a sort of signal to mm. local media outlets on how they should be yeah. reporting, mm. which is uh, which is not a very good uh, sign because mm. it also shows that media outlets and journalists do not report independently yeah. or do not have enough qualifications mm. to figure out how to report on mm. certain issues. Right. right. This, uh, especially talking about the Russia's war in Ukraine, this is a sensitive topic in Kazakhstan. Um, Darhan, how local media is reporting about that? and how your coverage kind of compares to the way local media is covering this war. It was interesting to monitor the state-owned and state-controlled media in Kazakhstan. The first days of the war, they were using uh, the word war. Uh, war. Mm. And when they, uh, the Kremlin started a campaign against using the word uh, war and using special operation, a week or so after, the state media switched to using the word special operation. Mm -hmm. That was quite funny to observe mm -hmm. in Kazakhstan. But of course, but for, for our others, they have no problem in uh, referring to the Western media. Mm -hmm. But as Gulnoza said, like they are quite limited in terms of resources. Not all media in Kazakhstan can afford sending their own correspondent to the, to the war area mm -hmm. or to Ukraine. And we are lucky to have Ukrainian service in our company, and we are all we are just uh, you know translating or just uh, right. publishing those stories yeah. from our so, services. Yeah. So on that, Darhan, for example, how to describe this uh, Russian attack to Ukraine has been an issue, right? In Russia, is trying to yeah. uh, call it uh, like operation, and <clears throat> it is in fact a war invasion. Um, but other than that. Are the local media in Kazakhstan, are they able to provide whole context, whole details of what is really happening in Ukraine freely and independently? I haven't been reading all the newspapers hmm. and I certainly I'm not watching TVs, but we've heard some uh, reports from a local newspaper in Western Kazakhstan when we uh, reporting the Russian side, the Kremlin side, and to, to the best of my uh, memory, they had to fire or get rid of uh, an expert who raised his or her own independent voice. Uh, I'm not sure, but 
there was a report from the western uh, western Kazakhstan but other than that like uh, it seems that there is a division in terms of the language the mm. new sources use and the same is true for vox pops we do in on the street like the Kazakh speaking media they're I'm not sure about the context but they're like inclined to the voice of Ukraine and to cite the Western media's uh, news reports. I think that's an example of how they report. But uh, when it comes to Russian-speaking media, especially uh, in, in the north, perhaps sometimes there is there are issues. But when we do box pop, you can see that depending on the language that people speak, their opinions were super contrasting. Right. Like those who spoke Kazakh, they were certainly supporting Russia, uh, Ukraine among them, and those who spoke Russian language, most of them like uh, seem to be like you know perhaps not supporting the Putin, mm. but seems to be uh, understanding their rationale, their motives, saying that mm. they had no other choice. Interesting. So okay. that's our situation. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. Bruce, what stands out to you in the in the courage of uh, Russia's war in Ukraine among the media outlets that you have been following? I mean, we we are talking. So we are talking in the context of when whether that is adding up in terms of the 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 problems that journalists are facing these days. So my question was in that context. Oh yeah, well I mean certainly. I mean clearly there's been you know the word from the authorities that this you can't. It's probably better off not to cover this. I mean, I've been, you know, Kyrgyzstan, I think, is one of the more curious cases. You'd think because their media environment is, is much more open that they would be doing it. Like, I haven't seen any media outlets anywhere in Central Asia that have dedicated coverage of the war, the ones that are on site, right, the ones that are in country, that have dedicated coverage of the, of what's happening in Ukraine. Um, they don't report on it every day. You know, it's the biggest story in the world, certainly on the Eurasian continent, right, at the moment, you know, one of the, by far, that this is going on because it involves Russia. But they don't they don't report on what happened today in Ukraine or something like that. But what they do do, and even Uzbekistan does this too, is they pick up other elements, like when people get returned home from Ukraine. If their own nationals have been evacuated and come home, then they'll report about that. In Kyrgyzstan's case, and I think they're the only ones that do it, they'll report about Kyrgyz citizens who somehow or another accepted Russian citizens and citizenship and, and were killed in Ukraine. And they'll report about the bodies coming home and being buried in Kyrgyzstan. And um, whereas other, I know Tajikistan hasn't, even though they've had the same thing, but state media has never reported that Tajik nationals at one, at any time were nationals, even if they weren't lately, um, were killed in Ukraine and their bodies were brought mm-hmm. home. At least I haven't seen that kind of coverage. So mm-hmm. they, they cover the events that in, that have something to do with their own countries. And, and you know, Gazeta, Daruz, and, and others reported when people brought flowers to the Ukrainian embassy right after mm-hmm. this started. So, you know, things that involve their own countries, they can report on. But, it, but it's strange because they can't report on the war. You know itself. What did? How many missiles did Russia launch yeah. today at, at some city? How many tanks did Ukraine claim to have destroyed? Or what in happened in Bucha? Yeah. Right. So, so they report the effects on them, hmm. but they don't actually report the event that's causing the effects. So it's kind of strange, but you can see they want to. You can see all the journalist organizations want to. And anytime some official makes even a bleak comment or vague mm-hmm. comment about what's happening out there, they report it right away. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, you know, right. But it's clear that the word's gone out that they're not supposed to be reporting specifically about the war and what's happening there. Mm-hmm. As they avoid it as much as possible. And I got to believe that's because someone told them. Yeah. You know, there's no way you would miss this story mm-hmm. if you... If free to cover any story this is the hot story going yeah, on yeah and yeah. just miss it 
<laughs> indicates that someone has told them, you know, keep away from this as much as you can. You know, in, in, in Turkmenistan's case, you know, it, when coalition forces came to Afghanistan or maybe when Osama bin Laden was killed, none of those things were story for Turkmen media there. So I'm, I'm sure that they are also not reporting about whatever is happening in Ukraine. It's not, you know, uh, that's not what they do. To, to round up these current events, you know, one clearly see that uh, in some cases, persecution of journalists are related to their work exposing corrupt practices. In some other cases, it's about the courage of Russia's war in Ukraine. The cause might be different, but spike is visible. So what is causing this spike other than courage of war? Are they related to each other or are they connected to a particular event? How to make sense of all that? So let's continue the debate by talking about these and many other questions very shortly. First, let me recap the debate that today on the Majlis podcast. I'm joined by Gulnoza Said, Europe and Central Asia Program Coordinator at CPG, Darhan uh, Omerbekov, Senior Journalist of Radio Free Republic Liberties, Kazakh Service in Nur Sultan, Bruce Panier, the author of Radio Free Republic Liberties, about to be launched Central Asia in Focus newsletter. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio Free Republic Liberties Media Manager here in Washington, D.C. And we are discussing the recent wave of pressure on independent media in Central Asia. So, colleagues, really, we spent lots of time in talking about those uh, current events. We don't have much time left to discuss the analysis part of this uh, conversation, which is really important. But uh, we need to really wrap up the conversation soon. So I would request uh, if you can keep your remarks uh, brief. So let's start with uh, Gulnaza again with you. So uh, in terms of the cause of this spike, is there any particular event that you could see, that you could attach this year's spike in Central Asia in terms of their assault on media. Obviously, we spoke about you know Russia's war in Ukraine, but other than that, can you point at any particular event that this might be causing this? You know, Central Asia is part of the larger world and everywhere across all regions in the world, we have seen uh, press freedom declining in yeah. recent years. Yeah. And Central Asia is not an exception. So we have seen authoritarianism growing and uh, democracies receding and uh, Central Asia is part of those processes. Also, domestically, in each of these countries, the perception of the authorities about how stable their authority and their power is also uh, impacts their relations with journalists and independent media freedom. Mm. But just as we said about Kazakhstan, you know, there was this uh, transition, very long one, I would say, that's still going on between Nazarbayev and now Tokayev. So whenever the authorities feel threatened by their population, they also try to censor independent reporting more. They try to have a tighter lead over critical views, not allowing them in to bring their own narrative to their populations, to their audiences. Just as I mentioned Turkmenistan, with the new president, you may think, okay, this is a son yeah. of the previous president, what else can change? But yeah. no, they are very uh, methodically working on restricting the access to the internet. And I wanted to say one thing. Hmm. What we have seen in recent weeks is, as I said, a challenge for Central Asian media outlets in terms of the Russia's war yeah. against Ukraine. And Russian 
state media regu- regulator Roskomnadzor has been trying to export censorship because we have seen that in Kazakhstan, for example, a news outlet, New Times, deleted reports on Ukraine after Roskomnadzor requested it. Russia blocked CLOP, the Kyrgyz investigative mm. reporting mm. outlet, and Media Zone Central Asia has been blocked also over the coverage of the war. And some Russian state media outlets like RT and Sputnik have been under sanctions in Europe. So they are very likely to now turn their attention to Central Asia, where they can find new audiences, where they can expand new audiences. And the Russian government has been pouring millions, if not billions of dollars into propaganda. And as Russia will continue losing the war in Ukraine, it will try to bring their narrative and establish their control over other territories, including Central Asia. So uh, I would say that very hard times are ahead uh, of journalists and independent media outlets in Central Asia. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Bruce, your thoughts on the same question. We spoke about the various elements that is causing the spike of, uh, you know, intimidations, harassments, and some, you know, in one case, even a journalist being killed. So what do you associate this to? Well, I thought Golnaza pointed out rightly that they're, mm. they generally are, are real worried about the media when things seem to be tense, certainly in their own country. Mm. They don't want to expose themselves to any kind of criticism or anything that could foment unrest or anything in the country. You know, Kazakhstan obviously has its own situation right now because of the unrest at the start of the year in that yeah. country. But I think generally, you know, with so much tension going on between Russia, who's a real mm. strong partner, the governments of Central Asia, you know, over this adventurism in Ukraine right now and, and the sharp international criticism that they really, you know, they got to keep a real close eye on the media. One, because they're taking, even if they're claiming neutrality, they're they're certainly not siding with Ukraine, which, and there seems to be a lot of sentiment on the part of people out there, but, you know, for the same reason Gulnaz just said, they don't, they, they look at themselves as possibly being next, right? So if you, they, you can understand why they would sympathize with Ukraine for being in the situation that they're in at Russia's mercy, so it would seem, you know, at the moment. So, and and the governments right now probably want to keep real close control over what's being said so that people don't start to say, why isn't our government coming out against it? Or why did our foreign minister just visit Moscow? Or our president talked to Putin but didn't talk to Zelensky or something like that, you know. And as another piece of criticism to add to the many criticisms they have of, let's face it, you know, not the unpopular is not the right word, but unpopular in the sense of like the majority of people in a fair election might not and probably wouldn't have voted for these guys if they'd had uh, legitimate contenders in an open field. So in a situation like that, you, you got to watch what the media are saying about you mm-hmm. and saying about your your policies, mm-hmm. uh, your foreign policies, domestic policies, because it could start something mm-hmm. much bigger. And of course, Russia is in no position to help them out. They showed up with the CSTO to help Kazakhstan in January. Mm-hmm. If something like happened again right now in Central Asia, you know, in Kyrgyzstan or Tajikistan, uh, I I don't think they could do it. Yeah, yeah, I was also looking into this with very, very concern, like all these uh, strange types of excuse that Russia is coming up to kick out international media organizations, types of which like Radio for Europe, the Liberty and CNN International, all the others. You know, whatever happens in Moscow, in some ways, it's reflected in our region, whether Central Asians might be looking into those, uh, you know, types of actions coming out of Russia as a model to implement 
implement that in their own countries. I mean, earlier when, Gulnoza, when you said that, you know, tough times are ahead, I wonder perhaps that's what you had in mind. I mean, we are kind of going into conclusive part of our conversations. Is there anything particular, Gulnoza, you will be looking at in terms of to determine where we are headed from here? We are all always monitoring the situation in mm. all Central Asian countries and, and uh, stay in touch with mm. local journalists and media outlets and uh, press freedom advocacy organizations trying to be aware. What is important is the work your organization and its uh, different language services are doing because I know that the authorities practically in all countries have tried for years to restrict your broadcasts and internet uh, content in, in their countries. But it's important that international media organizations like yours continue reporting on the situation, not just in Central Asia, but also in Ukraine, in Russia, so the audiences in Central Asia get independent information. Maybe very local perspective, then let's end the conversation with Tarhan, with your notes. So as a journalist in on the field, in the field in, in Nur Sultans, what is your worry, Tarhan, when you go out every day and uh, do what you do as a journalist? I mean, what, what is your concerns about tomorrow? I share Gulnoza's and Bruce's skepticism about the, the future of uh, press freedom in Kazakhstan. The fact that I said that the situation is quite mild right now, is that the information space is quite comfortable for Tokayev's administration right now because the, the protest against Nazarbayev is so strong in Kazakhstan mm. that they can forbid many things to Tokayev mm. if uh, they are seeing that Nazarbayev is mm. losing power. And what we see now, we see that Nazarbayev's relatives are losing their positions Hmm. Some of them are being detained and in Tokayev allies are saying that they are about to cancel the law on the first president of Kazakhstan. And not, now they are trying to amend the constitution. Of course, uh, the human rights defenders and civic activists and experts are also skeptical about this uh, con- constitutional reform. but. In the eye of uh, public or mass people, it seems like a, a good compromise. And it seems like a, people of Kazakhstan feel like relieved after Nazarbayev. And now he is in a comfortable position. But year by year or month after month, with us, he uh, would continue consolidating his power. And the media criticism or protest would turn against Tokayev. And at, right after that, we may see huge challenges to mm. doing journalism. Very interesting, very interesting. What, what you are saying is like, you know, Tokayev these days usually skips the scrutiny. Yes, because exactly. The, because the media yeah. is focused on Nazarbayev and, and what you are I saying. Would, is, I would like to give an example. Mm, like mm. Uh, we did an investigative story a couple mm. of weeks ago about mm. Tokayev's hidden houses, palaces, mm-hmm. and you would see that the comments or the reaction of the audience. Mm. So what? Towards. So what, like, didn't you know what Nazarbayev saw mm. from the government? Mm. If you compare this to Nazarbayev's wrongdoings, it's mm. nothing. Mm. Let's give him a time, something like that. Okay, okay, very interesting point there. Okay, with this, we have to unfortunately conclude the conversation here. So thank you very much, Darhan, Darhan Omerbekov, Radio Free Radio Liberty's Kazakh service reporter. So also, let me conclude the conversation with a sad note here. It is not relevant to Central Asia, but is very relevant to what we have been talking about today and also very relevant to home as we just lost one of our 
own colleague in Ukraine to Russia's war there. Vera Hirich, journalist with Radio Free Europe the Liberties Ukraine service, was killed when a Russian airstrike hit her home last night, the night connecting April 28 to 29. Among her colleagues, she was known with her kind nature, professionalism, and dedication. With this, uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Tarhan. And also big thanks to Gulnoza Said, Europe and Central Asia Program Coordinator at CPJ, and Bruce Panier, Senior Central Asia Analyst. Thank you, colleagues, for joining us today on this very important conversation. And this is from me, Mohammed Tahir, Radio Free Free Liberties Media Manager and host of the Majlis Podcast here in Washington, D.C. Until next week, bye-bye.